Good morning, church. Wasn't that cool? How many have tried that? (laughs) Teen drivers do not try that, okay? Well, it's great to see you this morning. I'm Pastor Brent, and I get the privilege to be with you starting a new month, August 1st. Woo! All you teachers, you're all excited. Yes. And all your parents are like, yes, finally. All right. Great to be in this new, next season of life here this fall. And we're starting a brand new ser- series today entitled Guardrails. And uh, we're going to just be very upfront. Uh, we borrowed this, okay, from another church. And no, we did not steal it, but uh, we got a lot of these ideas from North Point Church down in Atlanta. And uh, we saw this a little while ago and like, okay, this thing rocks. Uh, this is awesome. And we can't say it better ourselves. So uh, we talked with them and they said, yeah, go ahead, use this stuff. So very grateful for them allowing us to use, use this. But guardrails are a very vital thing of life, are they not? Okay, hopefully no one has had to test one out. But just in case, they're there for us to guide us, to protect us, to watch out for us in case we get off the road. And they're put in the safety zone so that we don't go into the danger zone. All right, you put your guardrails in the safety zone so you don't fall into the danger zone. And these guardrails are there to do pretty much two basic things. They're there to help direct you on where the road is. If you've ever been in a snowstorm or anything and you see that guardrail, you know where the road is and where to stay. It also protects you, just like we saw in that video, that if there is one last-ditch effort to keep you from going over the edge, that is what a guardrail is going to do. Now, as a kid growing up, one of my favorite trips we always did as a family um, was driving out to the West Coast. I grew up in Minnesota, but a lot of our family lived out in Washington State. And so what we would do every couple years is get in the family station wagon back then. How many had station wagons? Wasn't that the life? Yeah. Okay. And we would head out 2,000 miles out to the Seattle-Tacoma area to visit all of our family. Well, along that journey, back in the day, there were some cool roads you could take to get there up through the Rocky Mountains. You could take Highway 2, winding up through the Rocky Mountains and into the Cascades, go through Glacier National Park and stuff. And along some of those roads, there were not a whole lot of guardrails. And as a little kid, I would be sitting in that side seat looking over and you'd literally go, I'm gonna die, you know? So what I would do as the wise older brother is I would push me and my brothers over to the other side of the car so that we would not fall over. But guess what my little brothers would do? They would push back. And before you knew it, I'd start crying. Okay, I admit it right now. All right, I'm a crybaby. But I would start going, ah, God, you know, I'd yell, Mom, Dad, we're going to die. They're going to push us over. Well, as a little kid, it felt like that. But guardrails give us that sense of a security. But the reality is, guardrails are not the prettiest things. Nobody goes, ooh, ah, did you see the metal on that guardrail? Oh, boy, that was gorgeous. 
So we were just on a missions trip to Guatemala a few weeks back, and we're going to be reporting on that next week more. But just say thank you to all of you that uh, prayed for us, supported us. It was a great adventure. So I get back from Guatemala, and I'm going through all my pictures. I took like a million of them. And as I'm starting to clean things up, as we do with our pictures, I'm like, oh, that picture has a guardrail in, throw it out. Oh, that picture has a guardrail in, throw it out. Because who wants a picture with a guardrail in, huh? Or maybe some of you do. I don't know. But I don't. And so the funniest thing is I clean out all my pictures. It's like the next day, Pastor Errol says, hey, you want to start the new series? It's on guardrails. <laughs> okay? So I had to ask Blaine Metham, one of our team members, to send me some pictures of Guatemala and guardrails because nobody goes, oh, that's a gorgeous guardrail. That's awesome. It was funny, one of the guys after last service, he stopped me afterwards, he's like, Pastor Brent, I'm kind of one of those weird nerds. I like guardrails. And he's like the carpentry, the way it's set up. I'm like, more power to you, okay? And Mike, I'm sorry, I, I made fun of you there. But uh, uh, it was awesome. Nobody normally takes great pictures of guardrails as their family pictures to send home from their vacation. But the truth is, guardrails are essential. And they are designed to minimize damage to your vehicle. If you've ever tested a guardrail, you know exactly what that means. Yeah, you might have damaged the guardrail, you might have damaged your vehicle, but if that guardrail hadn't been there, boom, 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 boom. It could have been a whole lot worse. Now here's the thing, the highway is not the only place that we need guardrails in our life. We need guardrails in how we live. We need guardrails in our finances. We need guardrails in our relationships. We need guardrails in our morality. We need guardrails in every area of our life because we have a tendency to be wild drivers, don't we? We try to push to the limits life. And God has put in his divine wisdom some guardrails. And the fact is, a lot of us sitting here today wish we would have had some guardrails in our life earlier on because we sit here today with some deep regrets because we didn't have guardrails. And so today we're just starting out this series to talk about it so that the reality is hopefully in our life today we can begin, if we haven't already, place some of the proper guardrails that are needed in our lives because future regrets can be avoided if we establish guardrails today. Now, the reality is culture does not encourage guardrails. Our culture does not celebrate and go, ooh, I love the guardrails you have in your life. No. Our world lives pretty much freely. Whatever feels good, do it. That's been the slogan since the 60s or 70s. And it pretty much has continued on in our lives to whatever feels good. Just do it because it's all about who? You. It's all about you. And so here's some of the sayings we'll hear in our culture today. Drink responsibly. Drink responsibly. You're like, hmm, drink, well, who's responsible for who? What's responsible? And most of the time I found, depending on even one or two drinks, are you very, very responsible to be responsible? 
But that's the gray line our culture gives us. Instead of a guardrail, they say, well, here's a little gray line to follow. Drink responsibly. Here's another one. Sex, wait until you're ready. Tell that to a teenage boy. Okay? I was born ready. Okay? Okay? But that's what we're telling our generation today. Just wait until you're ready. Come on. We're letting a whole generation down by letting that be our mindset. Here's another one. Consolidate your debt. This one's a little more cleaned up, guys, for those of you that are still giggling about the sex comment, okay? <laughs> Consolidate. Is there anything wrong with consolidating your debt? No, there's not. But what happens is we consolidate, we consolidate, we consolidate, we consolidate until we never get out of debt. And it overwhelms us. But yet that's what society says. Just keep consolidating your debt. You get a lower payment, you'll have more money to have fun with. And all we keep doing is being dragged into the mode of debt over and over and over. And then the great one our culture tells us, follow your heart. When has your heart ever led you wrong? Yeah, you know? When has your heart ever gotten you into a situation you wish you'd never gotten into? Follow your heart. That's why scripture says the heart is deceitful above all. So don't just follow your heart. So our culture, it pokes fun in a sense at the guardrails that we might want to establish in our life. And yet when we end up in the ditches burning and crashed, guess who's there to continue to mock? mock? It's the culture around us. They say, don't have any guardrails, just live freely. But when you find yourself in the ditch, they're the first ones there to be pointing fingers. But God has a different plan. And so, if you opt for guardrails in life, let me, I'm just giving this blanket statement to start off with. If you opt to have guardrails in your life, that between you and God, you've set up the right standards and guards in your life, let me just tell you, you're not going to be the most popular person. Okay? So if you're looking to be the most popular person, the hit of the show, the cool kid on the block, this, this isn't for you. But if you're looking to do life in a way that God created you to be, to become all that you were made to be, and to become all that God has created for you, then stick around. Because this is what guardrails do. They give us the advantage to live life freely and to the most. Ephesians chapter 5, if you got your Bibles, if you got your phone app, turn there with me this morning. The book of Ephesians chapter 5, it's towards the end of your Bible, it's in the New Testament. It's written by a guy named Paul, and we've talked about him before many times, but Paul wasn't an initial follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, he was not just a skeptic, but he was a persecutor of the early followers of Jesus, to the point of going after them, dragging them into prisons, and killing them. Okay, But God got a hold of his life, and he did a 180-degree turn. And instead of being a persecutor of the followers of Jesus, he became one of the most passionate teachers and preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, most of your New Testament was written by Paul. And the, the letter to the Ephesians, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul lists out some warnings against activity that's going to disrupt your life 
And he talks about some of the things that we would agree. These things are not good. He talks about greed, okay? We all know what happens when people get greedy, okay? We know how wrong that is. He talks about sexual immorality, and we know where that can mess up a life outside the bounds of marriage and doing whatever feels good for me. Okay, so we're like, okay, I get it. He lists greed, he lists sexual immorality. He also talks about uh, the many other areas of life that can get us caught up in our relationships with each other and where we're not living in right relationships. So we're all like, okay, I get it. You know, I'm not gonna be greedy. I'm not gonna mess up my life sexually. I'm gonna do good with my relationships. That all sounds good. Until, until you find yourself at a point of decision where if you just skim a little bit off the top of the books, no one's gonna notice. And boy, that would really help me get ahead that few thousand dollars. If I could just, I'll just do that. Or it might be, you know what, hey, I'm not, not feeling loved at home, so let, let me find love somewhere else because I know God wants me to be loved. And before we know it, we've gotten ourselves into some deep, deep holes. There's not one of us here today that is an angel, at least as far as I can tell, okay? I'm waiting for the halo to come on, but I don't see any halos. Pastor Dave's is close, but Ruthie just knocked it off, okay? <laughs> okay, every one of us have temptations. Guys, let me speak to you. How many of you, and I don't want raise hands, okay? Don't raise your hands. How many of you have ever been tempted sexually? Women, don't raise your hands. How many of you have ever been tempted to take something from a store because I deserve this? Okay, every one of us faces those decisions at some point and some time in different ways. And unless we have some guardrails set up, we're going to be in trouble. So Paul isn't writing to those Christians those ones that struggle with all these deep sins, guess who he's writing to? Us, followers of Jesus, who struggle just as much. So let's get into Ephesians 5. We're going to just sit there today. Ephesians 5, verse 15, Paul says this, be very careful then how you live. It's like, well, that's a pretty straight up statement. Be very careful then how you live. The word for live there is literally step or walk. Be very careful how you live out your life. The steps that you take, where you are walking, being aware of what's in front of you, around you, and behind you. To help you understand this a little better, I brought one of my family members to help me today. That's Sadie, the Saint Bernard. The one saint that's in our house, okay? If you've been to our house, we have a fairly small house, okay? Neighbors, yeah, we've got, great to see you. They're, they're gonna make sure. And they've had to bounce around to Sadie a few times. But what we have to bounce around all the time are these things on the ground, okay? And so what we have to do is watch very carefully where we step. 
I always have to do this because Sherry forgets to clean up the yard. I don't know what it is. Um, no, nah, I'm just teasing that. I, we try to do it both. But, okay, but that's the idea Paul is giving. Be very careful then how you live that you don't step on a landmine. Okay? Be very careful so you're watching. So if you think this Christian life is just, hum da dum da dum I'm just going to walk along, just let God lead me and look up to the sky. No, Paul is saying, be very careful how you live. Watch where you're walking. Watch where you're stepping. Because that is going to be a big part of what's going to keep you on the right path. And he goes on to say, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Not as unwise, but as wise. Paul makes the template for how to live life, not just, well, what do I think is best? Not just, is it right or wrong? But he says, I want to live wisely. I want to live with wisdom. Letting wisdom guide my decision. What is the wise thing to do? Not just is, what do I want to do? What is you know, right or wrong to do, go even a step farther and go, what is the wise thing to do? And how do we judge that? Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs said this way, the value of wisdom. He said, how much better to get wisdom than gold to get insight rather than silver? He says, it's more valuable to get wisdom than to get that brick of gold bullion. Now, we should have done a test today and had a brick and had a sign wisdom and see which one people grab for today. But let's be honest, a lot of us, we're going for the gold. That sounds Olympic-ish, but I didn't mean it as a pun there. Thank you for not jumping in. But Paul, or the writer of Proverbs is saying, in our life, what we value most should not be the gold. It should be getting the wisdom we need. Because if we get the wisdom, as we found out with Solomon, everything else kind of falls into place. If we live wise lives, God seems to bless that and give a direction for our lives in a very powerful way. So what does it mean to live a wise life? Pastor Nero and I were throwing this around this week a little bit. And we came up with this little mathematical formula, and there's a lot more that could be added, so don't, don't get me wrong. But it, if you wanted just a simple formula, it's God's timeless truth. It's taking God's timeless truth in his word, adding to it my past experiences, and now my current circumstances, plus God's dream for me, And that helps me ask the question, what's the wise choice to do? Does that make sense? To to evaluate, okay, I've got this opportunity in my life. Okay, well, what's God's timeless truth about it? What have you experienced in the past? What are you facing now? And what what do you see God's purpose for you? Might be more the Holy Spirit's leading for me in my life. And that helps give us the wisdom that we need to live out this life. And you go, Pastor, there are times, even right now, I I need some wisdom, and I'm just not sure what to do. Here, the brother of Jesus himself, James, gives us the answer for what we're supposed to do. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. 
If you're needing wisdom in a situation, if you're needing wisdom in where those guardrails need to be in your life, and we're going to talk more about them here in a few minutes, if you lack wisdom on, on how to lead your family, ask God. Ask God. And James goes on to say that he, the Lord will give you generously and abundantly what you have need of. So getting back to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, he goes on to say, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. It literally means redeem the time. To take the time that God has given you and live it for him to the best of your ability, making the most of every opportunity God has given you. And why do we do that? He goes on to say this, because the days are evil. So I need to be careful how I'm living, to be wise in how I'm living. I need to make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days we're living in are evil. They're tough. When Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, he was writing to a people in Ephesus who were dealing with evil, greater maybe or at least the same as what we're facing today. People always think, well, things are getting worse and worse. You read some of the old ancient stories of what some of these towns were and what they did, it would astound you of the evilness that was going on. Ephesus, place of idol worship happening everywhere. It was promoted. There were prostitutes at the shrines. That was part of worship, was prostitution. Kids were being enslaved because their parents couldn't pay the bills. Talk about days are evil. Guess what? 2,000 years later, has much changed? No. We continue to live in days that are evil. People serving idols all over the place. Sexual immorality everywhere. In fact, it's, it's flaunted. And they tell us today there are more people being put into slavery than there's ever been in history. We live in the days of e that are evil. So we need to be very careful then how we live. Verse 17, he goes on, therefore. And Pastor Errol's always been good to remind us, therefore is what? There for a reason. It's connecting these thoughts. Because the days are evil, because of where we're living, therefore, how, what should we do? And it goes on from there to say, do not be foolish. Do not be foolish. Don't live life haphazardly as if what you do and how you live doesn't matter. The foolish person says, ah, I'm going to do whatever I want to. I could care less if there's any consequences. or They don't even think about the circumstance or consequences that can come. They live haphazardly. They forget that what we do in life has consequences. And in reality, what does the foolish person do? Here's a good way of saying it. They don't recognize that one thing leads to another, that actions have consequences. That's the definition of a fool. He just lives and he has no idea that because if he does this, this is going to happen. He doesn't cross his mind, he just lives. So Paul says, do not be foolish in this way. 
But he says, but understand what the Lord's will is. And the word here used for understand for all of you English students is this idea of an imperative. Have you ever taken your kid in front of you and just go, understand me, would you just understand? And the kid's like, ha ha, you know. Maybe we just did that in our house. Um, but um, it's like, understand what I'm saying, understand. I don't know, I don't know, I don't. Okay, that's this idea of an imperative. It's like, well, you already should understand. And Paul, the people are going, I don't understand. But Paul says, understand what the Lord's will is. And we all probably go, I, I don't know what the Lord's will is. What's the Lord's will? And Paul just keeps pouring it in, in. Understand what the Lord's will is. And what he's getting out of the point is that You know you better than anybody else knows you. You know what the Lord's will is because you know your weaknesses. You know the areas you get tripped up better than anybody else. You know the areas you need guardrails in your life. See, we can be very good about pointing out to everybody else what guardrails they need. You know, we tell, hey, you know, why don't you do this? I, well, when the reality of what Paul is saying, he's pointing to the person he's speaking to, but understand this. Understand what the Lord's will is. You know it. You know what it is to be. Wise people implement guardrails. Why? because that's going to affect how they live. It's going to encourage them to make every, most of every opportunity. And it allows you to freely step through life. You don't have to worry about the landmines anymore because you're in the guardrails. You're in the safe zone. So Paul goes on to give an example. And his example is on drinking. He says, do not get drunk on wine. Now, we could just take the on wine part out and really just say, do not get drunk. And that we have to get a context of the ancient world to truly understand this. In the ancient world, wine was as common or even more common than even water. And the idea was water or wine can get you drunk, but water can kill you. Because of the bacteria and all the things that they hadn't quite figured out yet, how to store water effectively. And so, to them, water and and wine oftentimes were mixed together to make the drink that would keep them hydrated, but as well keep them alive. It was interesting on our trip to Guatemala a couple weeks ago, that one of the things as we went out with our medical team and set up clinics in different places was one of the diseases that is very rampant down there is uh, diabetes, okay? And you're thinking, oh, in this poor country and, you know, a lot of people living in poverty, and why would diabetes be such a hard thing? It's because in a lot of places, it's cheaper to get a Coca-Cola than it is pure water to drink. Imagine that. Something we take so for granted. We turn on our faucet, turn on whatever, and it it comes so easy. But there, it's such a struggle. So a lot of times, you'll see even young kids, they're just drinking pop constantly and hardly any water. 
very similar to the culture Paul was addressing. He's saying this reality is that watered wine had become a staple in the ancient world to survive. And he says there's nothing wrong with that, but don't let yourself get to the point of getting drunk on your wine. Do not get drunk. Why? It leads to something. And everyone sitting here today probably has stories or experiences where someone or you yourself have allowed yourself to get drunk on whatever it is, wine, alcohol, drugs, whatever. And what has it led to? I'd say for most of us, we don't have fond memories of anything like that. What we have are a lot of regrets and a lot of fears. Some of us today, this hits close to home. And we probably consider what would our life be if dad, if dad had actually gotten help because of what it led to. What would have happened if that driver who came across that line, instead of not getting drunk, had had some guardrails in their life? See, Paul is addressing a real factor in so many things in our life, whether it's drinking or so many other areas of our life, that if we allow ourselves to reach a point, what happens, it leads to something. It leads to something. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to... Here's just a little extra for you this morning. If more than one person tells you that you drink too much, you do. You do. Now, I know that probably maybe steps on a few toes. It got kind of quiet in here. But if more than one person tells you that you drink too much, you do. Paul, in his passage, is reminding us that as we give in to drunkenness, it's going to lead to something because we didn't put the guardrails in there. It's going to lead to something. And what does Paul say it leads to? He says it leads to debauchery. How many use that word this week? Okay. Whoa, that was my, my million-dollar word all week. I was telling people, debauchery. No. But what does debauchery mean? Debauchery literally means to lose control of yourself to, and, and to act upon that. In a sense, acting in a way you wouldn't do normally because you have lost your self-control. So what Paul is saying is, hey, I know you got to drink water with wine, okay? We all, we all are having to do that because we have to survive, and he says, you know what, we'll even go to parties and there'll be some wine there. Funny thing, Jesus turned water into wine, but that's another story for another day. But he says, do not get drunk. Do not allow yourself to cross that line to get drunk on wine, which what? Leads to debauchery, which leads to you losing your control of yourself and doing things you would never do outside of that influence of alcohol or drugs or whatever it is. I have yet to have somebody come into my office and tell me, Pastor, 
last weekend, I got totally wasted. It was awesome. You know, it was just craziness. We had some alcohol, we had some drugs. I don't even know what we all had. It was so amazing. And you know what? I woke up the next morning. I was in somebody else's bed. And I know, and I figured out it was my best friend's wife. I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. But this was on. Nobody says that. What I get is the guy that comes into, or the woman that comes into my office and goes, Pastor Brandt, we had a party last weekend and a little too much got taken in. And I cheated on my spouse. And I don't know what to do now. If you knew how many stories we hear like that, you would understand why some of us, especially on staff as pastors, go, I'm not even going to take one sip. Because what it leads to is way worse the risk than the little bit of party I might get. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. The Apostle Paul said it elsewhere. He said, do not be mastered by any, he said, I will not be mastered by anything or anyone. In a sense saying, I'm not going to let any things of this world master me except my master, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as we allow other things into our lives and they master us, we are giving in to their mastery and who knows what it's going to lead to. Guardrails are a safeguard. They safeguard us from handing over control of our lives to someone or something else. They are what watch over us and give us guidance so that we can live freely and not be allowed to get into that place. But Paul doesn't stop there in Ephesians 5. He says, you know, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery instead. Instead, he gives an option. Our culture says there is no option. Everybody just parties up, let it fall where it falls. That's just the way we live. But Paul says no. Instead, instead, there's an option. And he says that instead is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead of being drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, instead of getting out of control with the things of this world, why not get control with the things that are out of this world? the Spirit himself. Allow the Holy Spirit in your life to rule your life. Let it be the guide. Let him be the guide that guides you in every way, in everything. And the New Testament teaches us that as followers of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. He is with us there as a guide, as an intercessor, as a, a, as a person who gives us the understanding of what is God's will for my life. And as followers of Jesus, I bet we've all experienced his work in us at some point. We've started going this way thinking, oh, that looks pretty enticing. That looks pretty good. And along the way, what do we feel? What do we sense? Uh, 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 uh. Step back, Brent. Step back. Uh, no, that's not the way to go. What was that? Who was that? That was the Holy Spirit speaking. That wasn't just Pinocchio's little conscience. <laughs> that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. 
well, should I go over here, Lord? And I just feel that assurance from this. Yeah, this is the way to go. And you just sense that inner prompting. The Holy Spirit, I wish sometimes he would just yell at us, don't you? Stop! Okay? Go that way. Go over here. He doesn't. He gently whispers his leading into our lives. Be listening for the Holy Spirit. So instead, be filled with the Spirit. Give control of your life to the Spirit rather than anything else so that you can be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. There's not one of us that wakes up in the morning and on our way to work goes, you know what, I, you know, I hope I can wrap my car around a tree today. Okay, you know, I'm coming to work in town. I don't go down Wabine and go, okay, where's the tree? I can wrap my car around today. I mean, a person in their right mind doesn't do that. And the same is true with our lives. Nobody gets up in the morning and goes, boy, I hope I can just totally wreck my life and my family's life today. But yet we do. Why? Because we have no plans. We have no, we don't plan not to. We don't plan not to. What are your plans? What guardrails are you needing in your life? As I said at the start, guardrails protect and direct. And as you follow the Holy Spirit, he protects you with his guardrails. But you'll also find it much easier to discern God's will for your life. Well, how does that work? Well, guess what? When God stirs and that Holy Spirit prompts you to step away from something, you're actually stepping towards the one who loves you most. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to put a stop, a guardrail right there, and you step back, you're stepping back into the arms of the God who created you, made you, knows you better than anybody else. And he knows what is best for you. But let me just finish with this this morning. God doesn't, isn't asking, he isn't putting the guardrails around our lives so you can just be better, a better person. See, that's what a lot of times people have thought Christianity, well, they're a pretty good Christian, they're a good, good person. I don't care how good or not good you are, that doesn't make you a better follower of Jesus Christ. What makes you a better follower of Jesus Christ is a more surrendered life. God isn't looking for better people, he's looking for more surrendered people. <laughs> that will say, God, I'm all in. Put the guardrails on my road. I want to go for you 100% so that I can drive with my foot on the pedal to the metal, that I can drive with all I've got to do what you want me to do to make the most of every opportunity so that you receive the glory. That's what God wants to do. So where are you at in life's road? Do you have the right guardrails up? Are there areas in your life 
that maybe you need to put up some guardrails and you maybe need to let some others know about it. Let God's Holy Spirit lead you and direct you. I say this a lot, but your biggest cheerleader is not sitting next to you this morning. Your biggest cheerleader is not on stage here this morning. Your biggest cheerleader is God. And God this morning wants the best for you. He doesn't want you to wreck your car. He wants you to enjoy it. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the guardrails God has put in our life to live life freely. And I pray it will just take us all to another level of living free in Jesus. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning and let me just pray over you as we head out of here today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for the different neighborhoods that are represented here, the different jobs and job sites that are represented here. I thank you for even the different stages we were at in our walk with you that are represented here. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will take us as a people and as individuals and give us a guideline, those guardrails in our life that will keep us, God, on track and being all that you created us to be. God, forgive us for ignoring. And sometimes, God, just not even putting anything up there. Help us, God, in our future to put the right guardrails up so that we might be all we can be for you and be the best we can be for those around us so that in all things, God, we will show you and how glorious you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a great week.